Okay. Um, greetings to your listeners. My name is Akanona Hovolta here at the Darasa Youth Think Tank. With me here today, I have a team. We are a team of three. And I would like for all of us to introduce ourselves briefly before we can begin this conversation. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Mr. Walter. My name is Ivan Agaba, and um, I'm happy to be here for this podcast. My name is Nicholas Morere, also part of the Think Tank, and I'm happy to be part of the podcast. Okay, um, today's topic is about Jewish triumph in court, right? Uh, on Friday, the Supreme Court in Kampala directed that the management of Ukraine Bank be reverted to its shareholders, but also for the Bank of Uganda to pay costs as the five-year battle comes to an end, right? So, of course, this case has been going on since 2016. That's five years back, if I'm correct. Involving high-profile entities, so Dairy, Parelia, and Marine Investments. And this has caused a, has had a significant impact on various affairs in this country, ranging from banking, investment, and so many other sectors, right? So let us kickstart this conversation, and we see the, the all and the significance of this case on these various sectors and the livelihood of the taxpayers in Uganda. All right, let me have Mr. Ivan to give us, to share thoughts. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Walter. <clears throat> so, on Friday, we had uh, the Supreme Court of Uganda dismiss an appeal or dismiss a case with costs concerning uh, Bank of Uganda taking on um, Sudiru Parelia and um, Mira Investments Limited. Um, so it, it, it's a, it's a court that it, it's it's a court case that has come to set precedence, especially with regards to the banking sector and um, the ease of uh, doing business. <clears throat> now, to give it a broader contextual base, Uganda has had a series of banks being closed ever since the 90s. I think they come close to seven, if not six banks that have been wound up by the regulator, Bank of Uganda, and finding out that they had been grossly mismanaged, there was insider lending, and um, they had a huge portfolio of non-performing loans, among very many other issues. But part of the, to me, the blame being cast on to uh, the supervisor that was Bank of Uganda, the regulator. So, <clears throat> anyway, we had International Credit Bank of the, the Katos in the 90s closed. Uh, that was then under the, the governor of uh, Bank of Uganda then, being uh, Mr. Charles Nyonyintono Chukonyogo. Um, but by then, now the late had had not been appointed. We had Global Trust Bank. Uh, we had a uh, Uganda Commercial Bank that was um, wound up and uh, sold over to Stanbic. We had Greenland Bank of Dr. Chigundu. We had the Cooperative Bank. We had the National Bank of Commerce, which was called the Banyachijezi Bank. And the latest being Green Bank Uganda. 
So that is just to give it a brief context and a base um, on which we can ha- have this argument. Now, to me, the issue is not about who won and who lost. No. The issue is about what precedence does this this court case ruling have especially over one the, the ease of doing business in uganda uh but two uh streamlining the finance sector that is multinational dominated because most of the banks if not all <laughs> are, 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 are multinational so you see the, the Supreme Court was formed um, under High Court. It's a, it's a division. Uh, no, the, 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 the Commercial Court, sorry, <laughs> was formed as a division under High Court, basically to expedite litigation, especially litigation with regards to business matters. That when the NRM government took on power in 1986, of course, in addition to the agenda of import substitution and export promotion, the other was, how do we boost foreign direct investment? So, by boosting foreign direct investment means that you had to deal with what Museveni in his speeches usually calls the strategic bottlenecks to investment. But how do you handle transport, open up Uganda, make it interlinked and easy for an investor to move from north to south, east to west. How do you deal with the cost of electricity? Because investors that will come usually want to, 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 to do big, big scale manufacturing and will need power at low cost. How do you deal with the issue of labor? That one was already there. It simply needed more skilling and um, a bit of refresher training. Um, how do you deal with uh, capital? The cost of money in a country that one largely has not been dealt with because interest rates are so high but lastly and more closer to our, our discussion today is the, the litigation that in a case where you have um a central bank of a country and a, a commercial bank that according to statistics at least as per 2015 that held uh, the, that was placed third in terms of holding customer deposits in Uganda. If you have such a court case taking five years from 2016 to 2021, it speaks so much about how slow the court system is, especially towards responding to cases of this nature. Because usually investors want, because it's inevitable that investors will disagree with uh, suppliers, with uh, the tax collecting body, URA, uh, in the course of doing business. So how fast then do, do you have cases, court cases cleared and court ruling made and, and, and uh, the, the sector uh, and business environment streamlined? So that's just very important. I think uh, with that, I think, uh, let, me, let me pass on the, 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 the button to... A fellow speaker of mine here to give it more context. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ivan, for your view on the recent decision by the court. However, 
the main point here shouldn't be the, the time the court took to decide. It should be what is the effect of the decision or what was the importance, what is, what is the importance, what was the importance of going back to the people of Uganda? What is the importance of courts in doing business for the people of Uganda? We must look at the things that make business go on smoothly. Yes, we must accept that Museveni, Museveni's government has made a very good path for investors. It has tried so much for investors to come to Uganda, do investment. But where does it leave Ugandans? The people that occupy Ugandan land. All, when we look at history, we realize that banks that have been closed are, are Ugandan-owned banks. The owners of those banks are Ugandans. Oh, and to interject, I failed to say also TFA that had been opened uh, on uh, an institutional basis of Uganda was closed. Please, move on. Ivan here has a whole list of these <laughs> banks, but... So you all have, you have that long list of Ugandan banks that have been closed over time. Mm. And then once a, a Ugandan bank is closed, we see a, a, a foreign bank coming in to take on business, to do business for us. Mm. So is it that allowing foreigners who have been once in our land coming again to do business for us? Mm. Where does it leave the normal person? These banks come with high interest rates. They come with very much regulation for the people that take out loans to do business. And it makes, it's it makes doing of business very difficult on this Ugandan soil. So the central bank's administration, the, admi the administration at central bank has not done a great job for the Ugandan people to enjoy the environment, to enjoy the serenity of doing easy transactions for, for the people that must benefit. Surprisingly, even the profits that are made by these, these foreign company banks are taken abroad. That is one of the reasons why growth in the financial sector has been very slow. The recent statistics that were released close to three days indicate that less than 90, that indicate that 93% of Ugandans have less than 1 million on their bank accounts. What does that show? Is it, is, is it, is it that Ugandans have lost trust in the banks? Mm. The issue is not for for the, for the issue of case backlog in the Ugandan judicial system. That issue has been there, and that is, that doesn't have to do anything with doing business or the Ugandan, the Queen Bank case, or anything of that sort. It has to do with expanding, putting more judicial officers in those in those courts to see that cases go on very fast. But the decision will affect the Uganda's economy in regard to the taxpayer's income. Few people made decisions that are going to immensely affect taxpayers' expenditure. So people who didn't even partake, people that decided to take the case to court and failed to settle it out of court, <coughs> for some reason that we don't understand, are making the Ugandans bleed 
They are making Ugandans poor. So what's the issues? Right, it was good listening to you, Nick. You spoke about a huge, various number of issues. Um, some including the lack of... The, the reason, why do we have to go to court, right? And the closure of these banks is not entirely due to reg- regulations by Bank of Uganda, but due to a number of reasons. So we're going to have a, a, a good conversation based off that. Let's, listen, let's hear from you, Ivan. And Ivan, as you come in, you must elaborate clearly. Why do we, in the first instance, do we need to go to court mm. for Ugandan banks? Ugandan banks have, don't have a place in on Ugandan soil. Mm. Why is it so? Mm. No, you see, the thing is, um, why you must go to court is because that's what, that's what court must do. Court is an arbiter. Whenever you have two parties <coughs> to any contract or to any arrangement disagreeing, court comes in as an arbiter. Now, I'd like to in a few minutes uh rebut what uh, mr nikki has said he talks about time not being an issue i disagree with that you see dr ire karhanga the managing partner at kampala associate advocates i listened to him once say that you see whenever he's telling his, his young lawyers as a draft contract usually tells them to include the clause that time is of the essence that had this had had this for example court case between BOU and Crane Bank been resolved over a short period of time it means the costs incurred by Sudil would even be less mm-hmm. so if the case was to be again dismissed with costs like it has been then you BOU would have to shoulder even less costs had the, the period the span of time been shorter. Two, uh, you see, the, the banking sector is a very capital-intensive industry. Now, the people that fly in with capital are people that have amassed it, the foreigners from Europe and elsewhere in China. You see, so now, how do you amass capital? Two major ways. One, you plunder. The way uh, <laughs> the way these colonialists came here and plundered African African land empty. So they, they, they took slaves, free labor during the Industrial Revolution times. This is how capital is amassed. It is plunder, which which is of course impossible as we speak of present. Two is accumulating it how? Saving. Come back to Uganda. What is Uganda's saving culture? All of you can <laughs> be witnesses to me. Ivan, that do Ugandans save to actually save? Do Ugandans save anyway? Do Ugandans save? They don't. Anyway. So how do you amass Ugandans save? save? Ugandans save, but Ugandans are not given an opportunity to adequately or sufficiently use their savings <coughs> for a better project so for example for example you see uganda savings culture is so bad so 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 bad to extend that <laughs> these banks that you see here don't lend off customers deposits they usually lend off capital that they have flown into the country you find that the, 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 the deposits that ugandans give these banks are too small that they even don't lend you see however ask yourself why the Central Bank of Uganda has been lowering 
the central bank rate down, down, down to now 6%, at least to the best of my knowledge. But the, the lending rates of commercial banks have not lowered. Going through the roof. They have, they, they, have, they have not lowered to follow that trend. They have been. Why? It's because the Bank of Uganda in Uganda is even not the lender of last resort. They don't even, the commercial banks don't even borrow from Bank of Uganda because they don't need its money. They fly in with their own money. So, banking is a very capital-intensive industry. Even the few banks, even the few Ugandans that have attempted to, 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 to venture out into the banking industry are not normal Ugandans. Dr. Chigund of Greenland was not a normal Ugandan. International Credit Bank under the Kato, the Kato brothers, those were not normal Ugandans. Those were <laughs> above ordinary Ugandans. What do you mean by not normal Ugandans? But in that they ventured out into business, mm. they've done business elsewhere. Even when they are new to the banking industry, they can still employ expatriates. Crane Bank here, when it started in 1995, they had to bring in expatriates from abroad to help in running a bank. Because U- Ugandans <coughs> here, we didn't have experts. Ivan, what that do you expect, what do you expect of a developing economy? Mm-hmm. Why do you expect of a poor e- economy like Uganda's economy? Do you expect us to have expatriates, as you're saying? So, 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 really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that, that. You, you're avoiding that because you well know that the Ugandan, anti- Ugandan banks have not been given a chance to grow. No, they actually have, but have been mismanaged. For example, just look at the Ukraine Bank, because it's, 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 it's our guest today. A huge portfolio of non-performing loans. Loans are declared as non-performing, mm. at least according to the little law I know. If no repayments are made to that loan, three months after a loan has been advanced out, at least as per the Ugandan law. If a loan is advanced out today, if after three months from today, no repayment is made on that loan, it then goes on to be declared as non-performing. So Crane Bank has, has accumulated a huge portfolio too inside the lending <laughs> that you'd have big people in Crane Bank, uh, shareholders, Sudan inclusive, according to the media reports, <laughs> that would use the huge power they have to get loans. They would lend to themselves of customers' deposits and would lend to friends of customers' deposits. And eventually when them or their friends fail to pay, then loans are declared off as bad. You 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 lend to yourself, <laughs> fail you fail to pay. to pay, and declare off as bad. Mm. bad. <laughs> yes. So I I don't know what Mister Nick has to say about. Was the rate of, of of lending that fatal that it would affect a whole bank under fifteen percent of deposit deposit deposits? So what what we what you can agree upon? Mr. Nick and, and, and Mr. Walter, that uh, no one, even Sudil himself, does not disagree that Screen Bank was being mismanaged. It was being mismanaged. He actually does agree. Because Crane um, Bank that you see there, in a space of a year, had had its portfolio of non-performing loans grow from 19.3 billion to 142 billion. You have non loans that are not that have no repayments being made on them, grow from 19.3 to 142 in a space of a year. You have profits fall from 50.6 billion to 1.8 billion. That is 95% decrease in profit. Why? Because whenever 
these insider lenders would, would lend to themselves, they declare the loans off as bad, and but but bad loans are usually expenses, so they decrease the income, so profits decrease that big. So this was a, a, a big problem. Lastly, and most importantly, uh, undercapitalization. Now, according to the Auditor General's report, Crane Bank, during the time of closure, or at the time when BOU had raised red flags, had assets worth 1.1 trillion and liabilities worth 1.3 trillion. So it was short of capital by a good number of billion. So Crane Bank was in need, urgent need of capitalization, which even the shareholders, <laughs> so inclusive, didn't have to, to recapitalize Crane Bank. So it's why red flags had to be raised. So it, it is very important to, to put all that in context as you talk. So we have listened to the submissions from the entire team, and all we've been hearing are negatives negatives and negatives so our listeners would get scared to see to hear about such views about our banking sector so the question now is are there any good things coming out of the banking sector in uganda is everything bad is everything poison should we at all consider the banking sector in uganda is it as has it always been as bad as it is today you like to believe that there are positives so let's have positive submissions coming from the team. Yes, maybe. Walter, be... I want to tell you the naked truth. The Ugandan banking sector is just full of poison. If something is not benefiting Ugandans, <laughs> who is it meant to benefit? The investors that come to take the little we have, and they have done that since time immemorial. If we don't let Ugandans own their own institutions that are Ugandan, that are Ugandan owned, let's say Mr. Walter here owns some part, some part of share, he, he owns some share, shares in a, a particular bank, and this bank is, let's say, 98 owned by Ugandans. And these Ugandans can come, get loans at very mean more interest rates, be given a chance to pay these loans and relying on good regulations that are not very strict as we see the foreign banks are doing. We have, we have uh, of recent I read an article on a, and uh, the, read, the article I read goes as this, uh, I'm going to read verbatimly what the article says. That the threat to our future has never been greater than it is today. The ideology that foreign capital should be given every privilege while African investment is persecuted and treated with contempt is before our eyes. We are made to see foreign investment being praised as our own businesses and lands are taken over by banks, by foreign banks because we cannot repay loans from foreign banks given to us at exorbitant interest rates. This lies the lies that that interest rates would come down if UCB was privatized were precisely that. Lies from Congo to Cape Town, the economic fate of a black man is as precarious as the fate of a young man on boats in the Mediterranean Sea. If that is enough, the Queen Bank 
saga, the Korean bank entity as it, is, as it was, must have been given a chance to exist. At least the government must have come, should have come in to recapitalize it. Yes, the gov the governess was was something that could could have been rectified. The corporate governance as it is as as it is provided for in the statute that, that that manages the banking institution in Uganda. And once that thing must would have been worked upon, the issue of recapitalization would have been achieved over time, but no chance was given to the bank. Okay. Um you see in rebuttal to what uh, Mr Nick I think I said, uh, you see, the positives, there are actually very many positives. There is usually, you see, they say with every dark cloud, there is a silver lining. Eh? So, there are always positives to anything. One is, uh, you see, for example, when Greenland Bank was closed, and those banks that were closed then, in the 90s, Usually they would be closed and all customers' deposits would die with them. That's not the case today. With today, you have um, the, the deposit protection fund where customer deposits are protected. And uh, because usually the regulator at the Bank of Uganda is usually um, always uh, to, 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 to take the interests of customers uh, prime. Their prime interest is to uphold uh, safety of customers' deposits and that has been affected. That is a very huge positive because, for example, when Green Bank was closed, it was a big change that uh, you, you will have Green Bank closed today and tomorrow you walk into DFCU and your deposits are still held intact with not even a shilling off. So that's a, that's a plus. Two is a Credit Reference Bureau. We never had Credit Reference Bureau back then. Credit Reference Bureau is basically a, a data center, if, if I may call it, where if Ivan, say, borrows from Stanchart, his repayment history is posted in that data center. So if Ivan goes to Stanbeek, say, and wants to borrow money, Stanbeek on evaluating his loan request will have to check what the Credit Reference Bureau holds as credit history of Ivan. So they're able to track how efficiently he has been paying, um, whether he has any loans he's defaulting on. Previously, during the, the 1990s, when there was no Credit Reference Bureau, a person would go and borrow from Stanbeek, he has not finished paying, he goes to Centenary, he has not, he goes, yeah. So that is a plus. Um, security. You see, for example, Mzee Mseveni has resisted pressure from uh, the World Bank and uh, the um, IMF to sell off uh, Uganda Development Bank. Because you've been so keen on hearing that with every budget cycle, you'll have money allocated in the budget to recapitalize Uganda Development Bank. Lack of capitalization is, makes you a candidate of either corporate restructuring, receivership, and eventually uh, liquidation. So 
you, you, you see that um, if, say, Museveni was to submit to pressure from IMF and uh, this, this development bank was to be restructured and eventually sold off, people would be walking into Uganda to, 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 to buy it off. Why? Because as a result of the uh, security compared to the, the, the security situation that there was then, there is more investor confidence. People can walk in and do business, get out, come back, and, and do business without any fear that anything will happen uh, to impede smooth flow of uh, operations. Eh? So, it, there are very many positives to the, to the banking sector. Uh, let's look at how BOU has again maintained uh, the, 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 the inf inflation rates, single digit, for a long period of time. Uganda that uh, that the NRM inherited in 1986 usually were double digits inflation. There's a lot of black market. There's so there are very many positives towards the banking sector, regardless of these very few uh, skirmishes that eventually pop out, and you'll have banks closed. So I think with that, I think I'll I'll I'll, I'll submit. Thank you, Ndugu Ivan, for telling us how not all hope is lost. We shall have our final remarks and we conclude this session. We can hear from you first, Ndugu Nick. Well, my concluding remark is uh, there is uh, too much, uh, there is a lot that ought to be done for the Ugandan, for the normal Ugandan to benefit from the banking sector. Let it not be for the middle class. Well, the, you, yes, you've highlighted, you've highlighted several several entities that have come up, like the Deposit Protection Protection Fund. But how does that enable a normal Ugandan to develop people that are poor, a poor economy? You see that the issue goes back to the roots of who owns. You see, just to interject in slowly. What is the interest? <laughs> Mr. No. Mr. Yeah. Nicholas, let me just to interject in slowly. You see, boosting customer confidence that Crane Bank will close today and tomorrow I'll walk into DFCU and withdraw my money. That alone is enough. It's a plus to the banking industry. It's not about the customer confidence. It is about do Ugandans, as Ugandans, own anything on their land? And that has been my pivotal point in this discussion. Right. Why aren't Ugandans allowed? Why is it that every bank that comes up and it is owned by Ugandans has to collapse? Let's hear from you, comrade Ivan. Well, thank you very much. Now, you see, there is always um, what we call irony of the vital few and the trivial many. Economies are run by the vital few. And the trivial many have no option but to follow suit. So it is very good for Mr. Nicholas here to sound so populist and want to advocate for your <laughs> to own something in their land. Fine, that's okay. <laughs> but you see, there's what is populist and there's what is real. <laughs> what is real is that banking as a sector is very technical, very capital intensive, and requires a lot of 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 of, of um, expertise that is that we Ugandans 
and to be honest, are short of. And even the experts are usually uh, taken off abroad to work elsewhere. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's very key to note that. So lastly, as I conclude, that what we have today is the Ugandan taxpayer having to shoulder a very huge cost because eventually the money that Bank of Uganda must pay in costs will be shouldered by the Ugandan taxpayer. That they have to shoulder this huge cost as a result of one negligence. Because, for example, couldn't this whole case have been settled out of court in that way or in that eventuality? The taxpayer would not then have to shoulder this huge cost. Two, even if it had not been settled out of court and redress had been sought from court, had it been expedited or have prosecution done over a shorter period of time, the Uganda taxpayer would be shouldering a less cost or even no cost. So this is, this is very, very important. Like I have said, time is of the essence. Investors come here to do business. They do not come here to engage in court battles for five years. No. So the, the, the sooner the, 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 the judiciary system works on the, the speed, especially with which prosecution is done for commercial cases, to me, I think the better for investment in Uganda. I think, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, our listeners. That will be it for today.